it went straight down the middle. From the Legends Golf Club in Franklin, Indiana, it's straight down the middle, the way we like our tee shots and our golf discussion. Now, here are your hosts, the 38th president of the PGA of America, Ted Bishop, and me, Brian Hammonds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Down the Middle. I'm Brian Hammonds, along with Ted Bishop, and we've got a special treat for you today if you're an Arnold Palmer fan, and by, you know, who's not? I was fortunate to have worked for Mr. Palmer. He was a co-founder and chairman of the Golf Channel, and today we're going to hear a lot of Arnold Palmer's stories from the man who was Arnie's friend, confidant, and go-to guy for 50 years. Well, Brian, Doc Giffen started out with the Pittsburgh Press, uh, where he worked for nine years. He joined the PGA Tour as press secretary until he accepted an invitation from Arnold Palmer to become his personal assistant in 1966, where he retired in 2017 after 51 years of serving Mr. Palmer. And Brian, the uh, list of awards and accolades for Doc would take up the entire 30 minutes of this show to go through them all, but just to highlight a few of the ones that I think are probably very special to him. He's a member of the Tri-State PGA Hall of Fame. He received the Winnie Palmer Award at the uh, Metropolitan Golf Writers Dinner. Uh, He's received recognition from the Golf Writers Association of America as well as the Memorial Tournaments, um, Golf Riders, and uh, most recently, uh, he was given the Arnold Palmer Cup Legacy Award from the Golf Coaches Association. So, just a uh, very well-decorated and a special person. And, Doc, I feel like you're a, an absolute treasure to golf, and i just kind of like to start out with how did your relationship with Arnold Palmer begin? Well, as you mentioned, I was, uh, in my early career, I was a sports writer at Pittsburgh Press. And uh, in 1959, the Western Open was played at the Pittsburgh Field Club. Uh, In fact, that was the farthest East they ever bought that tournament uh, uh, that year. Uh, Bob Drum was our main golf writer, and I was kind of a second-string golf writer then. And uh, Bob was helping his friend Dave McCahill promote the Western Open, and they set up a cocktail party uh, uh, in Pittsburgh and invited Arnie and Winnie Palmer to come in and, and, and meet the media and other people. So uh, Bob said, you better come on, come on along with me out to that uh, cocktail party and meet Arnold. Uh, so that was it. That was the meeting. Uh, and then- no, yeah, you know, what I was going to ask you, Doc, is obviously um, I would think you left a pretty good job there uh, as the press secretary of the PGA Tour to go to work for Mr. Palmer in 66. And that happened to be, you know, that was a- actually after he – had won all of his major championships. What exactly, you know, was it that um, caused him to feel like he needed you at that point and vice versa, you needed him? Well, uh, his uh, popularity and uh, his business activities and uh, uh, other activities, the press attention and so forth, uh, continued long after he won those majors. In fact, everybody expected him to win quite a few more uh, after the 64 Masters, which unfortunately never happened. But uh, at that time, he was operating. Uh, he had Mark McCormick was handling his business, and he operated out of uh, Cleveland. 
and uh, Arnold had his office right in his home uh, here in Latrobe, and had a secretary and uh, his wife doing just about everything that that, that uh, needed to be done on a, on a personal basis. Uh, he he and Winnie decided that well that was getting a bit overwhelming, so they decided to look for someone else and. Uh, Fortunately, they looked at me. Doc, can you give us an idea of just how popular Arnold Palmer was in his prime? Well, I, I don't know quite how to phrase that. He was uh, extremely popular. He, uh, uh, and it was uh, maybe, maybe a good example would be of this, that he was recognized by so many levels of people, different kinds of people, different uh, uh, ages and so on. My mother at the time was pretty well up in years, and I was still living at home when I was working at the newspaper in the, in the late 50s. And one of our favorite uh, programs to watch on television in those days was, was a show called What's My Line? And uh, after Arnold won the Insurance City Open in 58, I believe, uh, they had him on come in on the show. They used to blindfold the, uh, the four panelists because they thought they would recognize the person when they walked in. Well, in this case, they did, did not blindfold uh, the panelists, and Arnold came in, and they didn't uh, obviously didn't recognize him. But my mother said, why, that's Arnold Palmer. So uh, <laughs> and he, uh, she's not a golfer and, and paid little attention to my, my work as a sports writer, but uh, I thought that was pretty amazing. And, and uh, time and again over the years, it walk into a place, uh, some place out in a, rem a remote area, stop for something to eat or that, and people would recognize him. He just uh, was uh, that kind of person, a, a magnet. You, you mentioned Mark McCormick handling Mr. Palmer's business, and he, of course, founded IMG, the giant that it is today. But you get a lot of credit along with Mark McCormick, don't you, for starting what is now known as sports marketing. Well, actually, Brian, that wouldn't be the case. I, I had very little to do with the business side of, of Arnold's uh, uh, life. I was more more involved with the golf side and the personal side of things, keeping uh, uh, the office flow going and so on. Mark and his and, and after Mark's passing, Alistair Johnson uh, were the were the prime movers in, in on the business side of his of his life and did a great job for him. You know, Doc, with uh, Arnie being in such demand, uh, what was the biggest challenge working for him? Uh, well, I guess I thought about that, and I think the biggest challenge was learning how to say no diplomatically <laughs> because there was so much demand on his time, and Arnold was a guy that did not like to say no to anybody. He never wanted to hurt anybody's feelings, but obviously the no's had to be said. And I had to learn how to do it right, and, and uh, I always, I always, sometimes felt badly some of the things you had to turn down, but they just, they just had to be a no. So as I say, I had to learn how to say no diplomatically. I'm sure that you had many intimate conversations with Mr. Palmer over the years. If if he was here today, what would he tell us was the greatest moment in his career? Well, I don't know. Uh, there's a couple, couple of different things. One, uh, uh, of course, was the uh, 
winning the U.S. Amateur that uh, steered him. That was, as he later used as the title of a book, the turning point in his life uh, when he won that the Amateur in Detroit in, in 54. It convinced him that he was good enough to play with the pros. Uh, the other thing was kind of uh, uh, an offbeat thing, but uh, I, I think it was always one of the great thrills of his life. It certainly was an exciting uh, couple of days for me. And uh, when he was about to celebrate his 37th birthday, uh, Winnie Palmer wanted to do something special. And she got the idea of asking President and Mrs. Eisenhower to come to Latrobe and spend a weekend with them. Uh, the Palmers had gotten quite close to uh, the Eisenhowers uh, after Arnold uh, Arnold's connection with Ike through the Masters, and uh, and Ike agreed to it. And uh, Arnold had no knowledge of this uh, when he arranged for the. Uh, Daryl Brown, Arnie's pilot, to fly the jet down to Gettysburg and pick up the president. Uh, this was the first time and only time in uh, in uh, ever that uh, Arnold's planes went anywhere without his knowledge. Anyway, Daryl picked up the president. He came to Latrobe, came to the front door. Uh, when he had, had had trouble keeping Arnold at home, he wanted to go across to the club to hit some golf balls. And uh, she got him to wait around. Uh, I came to the door, knocked on the door, and Arnold, uh, when he had Arnold answer the door, he opens the door, and there stood the president, of the United, former president of the United States, with a little overnight bag in his hand. And he said, Do you suppose you could find a place to put up an old man for the night? That <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I was one of three people that were in on the, the planning of it. Uh, uh, his doctor, the Secret Service, insisted that his doctor be aware of it and be available in case anything happens since the president's health was not all that great at that time. Well, and obviously, was, obviously, Arnold was a was a very was a great player. But what was the appeal for, for of Arnold Palmer? What made him so popular with the masses? Well, it was just his personality. His his uh, it, it was pretty obvious when he was around people, that he liked to be around people. I mean, so many celebrities go out of their way to avoid the public in, in many ways. Arnold uh, relished being in, in among the public. He had uh, had a great tolerance for people. He, he tolerated a lot of people over the years that uh, most people, including me, would, would otherwise not tolerate. Uh, he, was, he was just that kind of a person. He liked people. And I think the, the general public, the average person who ran into him or had anything to do with him, uh, recognized that they, they knew he, they knew he liked them, and they so they liked him a lot for that reason. Have you seen another athlete who had the same type of popularity, the same type of appeal that uh, that Arnold Palmer had? Well, not directly. Uh, obviously, uh, obviously. People like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, uh, the, the hockey or the uh, soccer player Pele, uh, Wayne Gretzky. A lot of them have great followings. Uh, Arnold's was uh, 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 just unique in that uh, the whole the whole level of the world seemed to recognize him. 
I had the uh, distinct pleasure, Brian, to take three different groups to Latrobe several years ago, and Doc was a very gracious host, and he took us into the famous barn that was there at the time that housed all of Arnold Palmer's memorabilia. And Doc, the, the guy could not have ever thrown anything away. <laughs> stuff that was in those barns was incredible. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, they both Arnold and Winnie were great savers. They they always kept everything, and uh, uh, over, they overflowed for a long time. Uh, obviously, we didn't have room for a lot of the stuff, a lot of those things in the office. And Arnold had a couple of houses that he acquired along the edges of the, of the golf course. Uh, that he wasn't using, and they they became storage places for a lot of the memorabilia. So when he decided that the club needed a new maintenance building, his dad had, had, uh, and his brother, who succeeded his father when he died, uh, worked out of an old beat-up uh, sh shed along the golf course. So Arnold said, we need a new one. So when he built it, had a new uh, maintenance building built for the club, he made it big enough that uh, one end would be uh, used to house the memorabilia. So that's why it, it all was sent, then centrally located there. Other than the things that were of uh, first class, you know, top level uh, memorabilia that was stored in the office and on display in the office, which Ted, you'll remember, of course, seeing very well. Doc, you were obviously set up at Latrobe was kind of your home base. And you also had a great relationship with Deacon Palmer, Arnold's father, who was probably the most influential person in his life. Um, talk about your relationship with Deacon Palmer as well. Uh, Deacon was great. De Deacon was always uh, very, very good, very warm with me, almost like I was another son uh, in many ways. Uh, the thing that I'll always remember were his last days. Uh, we, uh, uh, I had just lost a friend in an airplane accident uh, and it had prevented me from going on my usual winter vacation. So after the funeral service, uh, and I was, uh, Arnie said, now take your vacation. Uh, Deacon said he hadn't been down to Bay Hill for, for the winter, so he thought... Uh, uh, he asked. He said, "Do you mind if I come along?" And my God, Deacon, certainly. I'm glad you, glad you like to do that. So we flew down to Florida commercially, and uh, had join, adjoining rooms at, at Bay Hill. And uh, the second day we were there, uh, the night before, Deacon said, "Well, I, I, Deacon always got up early, of course, as uh, any superintendent would." And so he and a couple of his friends. I'm going to play nine holes early, then I was going to join them and play 18 in the, uh, later in the morning. Uh, so we did that, and when the round of golf was over, uh, uh, Deacon said he felt a little tired. I think I'll go back and take a nap. And I and I said, well, a couple of Arnie's uh, charter pilots were going to take a boat out and going to take me for a boat ride. So I did the boat ride, come back in, and went back into the into my room, which had was in an adjoining room to Deacon's with the door in between, and the door was open. And uh, when I got back in the room and I looked, 
in his room and sadly Deacon was on the floor. He had he had, had a massive heart attack and, and died. That was a that was a heartbreaking thing. Arnold was in Palm Springs playing in the Bob Hope tournament and had just just shot a sixty four and was leading the tournament when uh, we got word to him of Deacon's cat. Deacon was a great man and and his mother was a wonderful lady as well. They ended up being great friends late in their careers, Doc. But what was Mr. Palmer's relationship like with Jack Nicholas in the early years? Well, in those early years, of course, Arnold first saw, saw Jack uh, as, a, as an amateur out in Ohio. They had a special event honoring Dolphins School, late Dolphins School. Oh, that's Arnold. He'd play in it, and he got Jack to play in it. So that was the first time Arnold saw him, and he was very impressed with his, his game. And uh, uh, when he was uh, a turning pro, uh, Arnold had already established his relationship with Mark McCormick, and, uh, and uh, Jack came to Arnold and asked him if he could have market uh, he would represent him as well so uh, uh, Arnold had made an agreement with Mark that he wouldn't uh, wouldn't represent anybody else but he relented in this case and that's how Jack became uh, Mark McCormick's second second uh, client and in those years of course they booked a lot of extra together and uh, a couple of television series uh, involving it too, so they spent an awful lot of time together much more so than uh, later on in, in, uh, in their lives. Well, Doc, I want to take you back now to the formation of the Golf Channel. What was Mr. Palmer's initial reaction when he was approached by Joe Gibbs with the idea? Well, he was a little skeptical, but he was certainly willing to listen. And uh, the uh, he talked to some of his friends, his advisors, I shouldn't say friends, his advisors, and they were also skeptical of the idea. Uh, I wasn't in on much of that. Uh, I was, I wasn't consulted, but uh, uh, ultimately Arnold overruled the uh, thoughts and uh, skepticism of the others. He decided it was. It was the right thing to do, and uh, away, away they went. Well, Ted, there's a great story about Arnold Palmer, and, and, and Doc, you can tell us if this is true or not, but they were sitting around with Joe Gibbs, and he's, again, he's not the football coach. He's the businessman from Birmingham, Alabama, whose idea it was to start the Golf Channel. And they're sitting around with Mr. Palmer and his advisors, and all of his advisors were, think, were saying, Arnie, we don't think you should do it. We think it's a big risk. Don't do it. And Mr. Palmer leaned back, folded his arms, and said, Fellas, if I didn't try to hit it between the trees every now and then, none of us would be here. Let's do it. And that was that. So that's one of the legendary stories, Doc, that, uh, that, uh, that, was, that was going around when the Golf Channel was, uh, was first started. And that was a good one, and that, and, uh, that, that was a, a true story. Now, there was a... Uh, go ahead. No, I was going to... No, I'd also heard that uh, Arnold paid uh, payroll at least once in the early days of Golf Channel to, to keep it afloat. Were you aware of that? 
I was not aware of that at all. That was that, that that's that's news to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, Joe Gibbs, you know, went to Mr. Palmer and said, "Arnie, I don't think we can make payroll this week." And Arnie reached into his pocket and pulled out a checkbook and said, "Here." And that, that happened at least once, and maybe more than that. So, and I've always said it, the Golf Channel would never have worked if Mr. Palmer wasn't involved. Never would have worked. Probably right. I, I would certainly agree with that. Doc, the Media Center at Bay Hill is now called the Doc Giffen Media Center. Uh, in August, they had Doc Giffen Day at the Latrobe Country Club. You got the key to the city. How special is it to get that recognition for what you did for Arnold Palmer and uh, obviously what you meant to Arnie? Well, as I say, uh, those awards were, were very very uh, flattering to me, and uh, I always felt I didn't do a, an awful lot to deserve a lot of the things that were said. I, I was doing my job, and, uh, and it, was a, it, was a, it was my pleasure to have the job. It was a great job uh, that uh, not very many people would uh, have the same kind of an opportunity. With all of your experiences, have you ever thought about writing a book? Never thought about writing a book, uh, mainly because early on I told Arnold, I said, now for one thing, uh, you want to rely on me to raise any confidential thing you want to talk about. Uh, uh, I'll let you know this, I, I, I never, I, I won't write a book. So I think that, I think that added to our confidentiality. Doc, when you look back at your career, how would you describe it? It was a, it's been a, a, a quite a quite a thrill all the way along the line. Uh, I always consider myself a very lucky person to have been at the at the uh, right place at the right time. Uh, it was really amazing that day, and uh, it was always amazing to me that uh, he offered me the job in Orlando at the Florida Citrus Open. That was kind of ironic that it would wind up uh, that way. But uh, it was a complete surprise to me. Uh, it took a, a couple of years to get get my feet wet on, on the job and get feeling comfortable in what I was doing. But uh, for the, the bulk of the time, it was always a great thrill to, to be able to spend time uh, with Arnold. Uh, we spent a lot of time just uh, chatting after work. Uh, he used to have. He had me up to the house after we closed the office in those months when he was in the club and uh, have a cocktail or two and talk about most anything that came along. Well, Doc, congratulations on a remarkable career. You deserve any recognition you're getting from the people who know what you meant to Arnold Palmer. And thank you very much for sharing your stories with us today. It's been my pleasure. It's, uh, great to hear from you again, Brian, and uh, always Good to hear from Ted, who kept in touch from time to time. Uh, it's nice to be on your show. Thank you, Doc. You know, Ted, I don't think we ever mentioned that Doc Giffen is 93 years old and still as sharp as ever. Uh, there's no question about that. And uh, as I said, I, I actually took three golf trips with uh, three different groups, one of which was, uh, ironically, Mike Greenberg, who we had on the last podcast in Latrobe. And Doc was a wonderful host on top of his game and just an extremely interesting uh, dinner conversationalist. 
Yeah, he really was Arnie's right-hand man. His business card just said assistant on it, but he was so much more than that. He did public relations. He did scheduling, facilitating everything involving Arnold Palmer, and probably the most important role that he had, that he was Arnie's friend. And we would like to thank Doc Giffen for joining us, and thank you for listening. Join us again next time for Straight Down the Middle.